We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there. My name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere. A nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random X of Podcast, on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? Yeah, yeah, not bad, Nick. Um, things are being changed uh, for the better around the world. Baby steps, and uh, yeah, people are, are making their voices heard. So, shout out to all the people at the protest. Shout out to people donating. Shout out to people signing petitions. Shout out to people using whatever platform they have to instill meaningful systemic change. 100%. Use your voice, make a change, and we're seeing that happen right now. Obviously, we want to continue to progress and make those changes happen. And like we mentioned on the previous shows, and we'll continue to say it, OTG, the NBA outlet, the Brooklyn Buzz, Jack and I, full support of the black community, and we just dropped a great pod on iTunes, Spotify, and otgbasketball.com. But you also can find the Brooklyn Buzz on those platforms as well, and you also can find it on netsrepublic.com and Blue Wire Pods. And this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. But, Jack, we want to give a couple shout-outs to some of the Nets players. We mentioned Kyrie, Wilson Chandler, Garrett Temple, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie on the last show. You know, Karis LeVert was out at protests this past weekend. Kevin Durant had a great interview with Mark Spears of the Undefeated this week. So it's great to see the Nets players continue, you know, to fight the good fight. Yeah, I'm going to keep echoing the sentiments that I've said on, on other recent pods on OTG in the sense that the NBA is a community of, of true leaders, and it, and it's not just, and it, it actually starts probably more with the players than with the the guys in leadership positions and GMs and, and and owners and stuff. We're seeing greater leadership, greater voices, and and true change coming from the people who listen to. You know, guys look up to Kevin Durant. 
boys and girls around the world look up to them. Karis Levert is is an absolute icon within the Brooklyn Nets community. So seeing this is is, is setting a standard of of what needs to be done uh, around the country in terms of you know uh, up, absolutely upholding uh, the systemic oppression that has been going. For, for years and years and years and years and years against black people. And uh, I, I mean, Karis Levert going out there wearing the mask as well. Uh, good to see. Um, and, and Kevin Durant obviously saying what he said to, to Mark Spears. I mean, we got that news over the weekend. I mean, the, the main takeaway was the whole, you know, he's not playing, but there was some, like you said, some meaningful quotes about the fact that, you know, the, the changes that he's seeing and, and, and the things about the culture. I think I saw another photo of Kyrie protesting as well. Um, so I think that we're seeing great leadership from, from the guys that within our own organization. And, and again, this is the Brooklyn Nets podcast. So if we were to touch on every single person doing great and meaningful things around the NBA, uh, we'd probably have a five-hour pod because there's so many people doing some really great things. 100%. And we'll continue to support the NBA players and Nets players. And like we said, you know, full support out there. But we did mention on the last show Kevin Durant being out the season. We now have it confirmed also with Kyrie Irving being out the season you know, not going to return for that shortened season that we'll see in Florida, that eight-game regular season, the postseason. Jack, what were your thoughts that you officially heard this, you know, minutes after we recorded the previous show? Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> we recorded and we're like, okay, the, the, the main takeaway was until you hear it from the, the man himself, then, you know, there's still a chance. And I think I put it at 0.01, you put it at like 2% or something. So I guess uh, the, the pessimist wins out uh, once again. But in, in general, it's it's not surprising and Kevin Durant said, you know, it was the plan all along, you know, and if it is the plan all along and it's something that he's he's sort of sticking to, you know, obviously it still surprised me that he was on that call. Maybe it was for as, as a representative for the Brooklyn Nets organization. Uh, that probably makes more sense than what I was sort of trying to interpret. But, you know, obviously it's disappointing for Nets fans, but th this makes the most sense. And to have a, a fully healthy KD, you know, obviously he's going to be dealing with the, the rehab and it's going to be a different sort of thing. I think he'll be have like 18 months out of, of playing any sort of meaningful basketball to, to attack, you know, the 2021 season, uh, hopefully uh, winning a chip and, and leading the Brooklyn Nets and, you know, Kyrie Irving's going to be healthy then uh, more than likely, hopefully too. He'll probably, hopefully that shoulder's uh, going okay then. But, you know, this is a, a signal for, you know, that, that we can all sort of, I guess it's probably more annoying for just the, the fodder on Nets Reddit, Nets Twitter, and even Nets Facebook for that matter, because it's just like, all right, what do we talk about now? You know, Jadon Musa shooting some shots at the at the, <laughs> at the trading center. Um, it's certainly disappointing, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, probably the right thing to do. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think, you know, given that that was the initial plan that Kevin Durant was going to sit out the entire season. And we've heard like different timelines for Kyrie's injury. I know uh, Ian Eagle mentioned like three to five months and then Windhorse mentioned on ESPN four to six months and that he probably wouldn't be ready. And given the fact that Kyrie wouldn't be ready, it makes less sense for Kevin Durant to play too. And like I mentioned, given that it was the plan and that the Nets also will be in some, you know, pressure situations, like they're going to have to win games to maintain their seating so they don't end up in that eight seed or even out of the playoffs. So I think it's it's the right choice. Obviously, as fans, we'd love to see these elite players on the court, but we understand and there's still more time for Kevin Durant to have a huge impact in a Nets uniform. Yeah, and plenty of plenty of time, obviously. You know, the it, it sucks that we weren't able to see him this season. But in the grand scheme of things, the big picture is what matter, what matters. And it, it's good to see that he's thinking big picture rather than sort of narrow focus. I'm sure there is a desire within him 
to be like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of feeling okay. Kyrie looks like he's feeling okay as well. Maybe we could give this a shot. But, you know, the I, I think we sort of talked about it. Is is the risk worth the reward? I mean, the, the risk is that, you know, you probably lose Kevin Rand for next season and you could lose Kyrie for an extended time. And, you know, his shoulder truly isn't ready because, you know, at the start of the season is when you see a lot, lot of, and I think we spoke about this on the outlet in relation to the general NBA, the start of the, the NBA season is when you generally see a lot of, you know, muscle injuries because, you know, you haven't necessarily adjusted to, to the tempo and speed of the NBA. You're not gained condition yet. And that's happened in the Bundesliga, as I mentioned on that on the NBA Outlet podcast that I did with Corey and you. So that could that, that is likely. I, I would be very surprised if there aren't you know some soft tissue and muscle injuries that are going to happen when we come back. And you know if Kevin Durant's Achilles muscle and Achilles uh, isn't necessarily 110%, I don't think he ever will be. You know the muscles surrounding that, the calves and and everything else, they're going to be put under a lot of duress, and you, you probably see some injuries around that. So um, I, I think it makes the most sense, and and the risk of of Kevin Durant injuring himself again and not being ready for, for next season is greater than, you know, a, a probably 5 10% chance at, at winning a championship this year. Despite uh, the optimism that I did think about that, it just, you know, I think big picture-wise, uh, it, it's, it's good for KD, it's good for Kyrie, it, it's good for the Nets long-term, and, you know, it opens the door for some opportunities for some other guys. Yeah, I think long-term it's good for, you know, KD and Kyrie too, because like you mentioned, they could suffer an injury, and that injury could kind of linger along the rest of their career. You know, these aren't necessarily young guns, obviously. You know, KD over 30, Kyrie approaching that number. So something to keep an eye on. Jack, do you think this kind of says anything about, like, the plans for the Nets this offseason? Does this make you think they're more likely to make a big move? Um, I, I don't think it really indicates one way or another, Nick, because I thought that this would, was the more likely route. So it doesn't necessarily change my viewpoint from whatever expert level that is. Um, I, I think it, it does, it, sort of when we were talking about on the last pod, you know, giving the opportunity to guys like Spencer Dimity, Carol Savert to sort of up their value, Jared Allen, those sort of people, maybe even a Torian Prince to sort of step up. Um, it certainly uh, allows them to, to really make an opportunity. But, you know, Kevin Durant in the Mark Spears piece didn't necessarily... He's always rather coy in general. He doesn't really give a lot away. Um, you know, the, the stuff that he was quite open and honest about were the, the real issues that, that do matter. You know, when it came to talking about the coaching situation and, and the offseason and his sort of stuff, he was sort of, you know, a bit blasé. And fair enough, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter in the grand scheme of things in terms of what the world is going through right now. So uh, I think in the it doesn't change things for me one way or another, Nick. I, I don't know how it makes you feel. Yeah, I think given that it seems like Kyrie wouldn't be ready, it makes more sense for like Kevin Durant not to play. It's not like both guys are 100% and ready to go and they're just deciding to kind of sit out. You know, like it just feels like maybe they're not fully there. And like given the way Kevin Durant is and like based off previous quotes and just the idea we have of him, it feels like he doesn't want to come back without being Kevin Durant. Like he wants to be back to being at the highest level possible. So he doesn't want to rush it back in any way. Like we talked about, even though he's healthy, he still needs to get back to being that elite player in terms of his skills and, you know, different avenues of his game. But Jack, what will you be looking forward to? Like knowing that we're not going to watch them in this short and little return of the season. Yeah. I mean, Nick, it's probably the the names that I sort of spoke of. Can, can Toyin Prince, you know, really with the opportunity to, to really sort of, you know, up, up level, you know, the game that sort of he he was probably showing, you know, in, in not many, he obviously lost that starting spot you know, to Wilson Chandler. Maybe he gets it back. Maybe he doesn't, or maybe he earns it back in, you know, through the eight game regular season before the, the Nets hopefully make the playoffs or uh, maybe they don't. I'm not 100% sure. But in, in that sort of sense, you know, I think there's opportunities for, for plenty of guys 
And for me, you know, the guy that sort of sticks out is a guy like Torian Prince. You know, I'd like to see, you know, because, you know, the at, at the end of the day, I think we spoke about this quite a bit during the, the regular season is if we're not seeing KD and Kyrie, why do we keep not playing guys like Nicholas Claxton, Jana Musa, um, Rodion's Kurutz, or all these sort of guys that we want to see what they can be in playing against NBA-level caliber players and can they be in the rotation? And I mean, I think we've seen enough of, of certain players. You know, I think that, you know, I, I actually honestly think we've probably seen probably enough of Musa, but um, I, I think that, you know, he probably does deserve another shot at the end of the day. I certainly think Claxton does. I certainly think Kuritz does. Um, in terms of just the overarching big picture thing, if, if big picture is the sort of theme of this pod, big picture wise, um, I know we've said it with on, on other pods with Nolan and Matt and, and other people, that it just makes no sense that we didn't see more court time uh, from some of those young and upcoming players because we need to figure out, are they trade pieces? Are they long-term you know, rotation pieces? Uh, uh, do we just th- throw them away and, and discard them or trade them? It's... It doesn't make a lot of sense. We haven't seen a lot from them. So hopefully Jacques Mon gives them an opportunity, but I'm not necessarily 100% optimistic on that because he seems to me uh, a bit of a sort of, from the Kenny mold, you know, give the vets their sort of role and let them sort of do their thing. You know, Wilson Chandler gets extended minutes. Garrett Temple gets extended minutes. DeAndre Jordan gets extended minutes, even though I think it makes little to no sense. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Obviously, we're going to dive into the rotation a little bit later. I think you're looking forward to see some of those young guys if they do get minutes. I mean, I'm still kind of excited to watch, you know, Dinwiddie and Karras in an opportunity to kind of showcase their game to the highest extent. And maybe, you know, Jared Allen will kind of bounce back a little bit in terms of what we saw more in like 2019. And again, that was a great point about Torian Prince too, because this is like a real opportunity for himself to almost audition for next year's team. Like, hey, you had a really rough like 19-20 for the beginning of the year. Maybe if you play really well in this eight-game stretch and you have a good playoff series, it could kind of make you more likely to be on the team. Also, I'm kind of interested to see like what's up with Jacques Mon. You know what I mean? Like we only got two games of him. Now we're going to probably see eight game. You know, we're going to see the eight regular season games. Then we're going to see a playoff series. And I feel like a playoff series really says a lot about a coach. It does. You know, obviously you're going up against the highest competition. You know, I think we've said on other pods, whether it be the outlet or this, that, you know, rotations and X's and O's matter that little bit more in the playoffs. You know, can you make the adjustments on the fly? You know, the best coaches do. They they can read and react and sort of, you know, have a battle against their opposing coach, you know, Brett Brown. And, you know, in that first game, you know, of last year's playoffs, you know, Kenny Atkinson out coached Brett Brown. And then for, for the final, you know, in the next four games, you know, he, he didn't really make any adjustments. He sort of just let things be as they were because, you know, we saw Jared Dudley playing some five, you know, when Ed Davis got injured and Jared Allen wasn't performing well. You know, is Jacques Vaughn going to be willing to make those sort of, you know, risk rotations? I think that, you know, if you're, if I was in his shoes, I'd be willing to just make some risks. And, you know, if this is my audition, you know, show what I want to be as a coach, you know. I don't know what his philosophy is. You know, we've sort of seen it in, in minor spurts in terms of a bit of a switching style of defense and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I'd throw the... Um, throw it all out there because you know you what have you got to lose you know I think that he he still be a, a valuable assistant anywhere in the league whether it be with the Brooklyn Nets or other but you know if he's wanting to to get a decent head coaching spot you know wh- whether it be with the Brooklyn Nets or elsewhere you know I think that in this eight game sample size um, maybe even three four five how it four four plus more uh, in the playoffs you know put it all out there if I'm JV yeah, I mean, it's a great opportunity for him to actually have a real opportunity to land the job. But There's no shortage of action going on our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get on. 
You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you can find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss Michael Jordan's documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Kind of getting back to Katie and Kyrie being out, Jack, like, is there one specific person you think benefits the most of them not being on the floor that maybe can either showcase their game, work on their trade value, or like something of those sorts? Uh, I think the, I think it's two for me, Nick. Um, when I sort of saw saw the doc that that you'd come up with, uh, it's Levert and, and and Prince. You know, I've spoken a little bit about Prince already. You know, if KD were to play, I would say that Toy and Prince would get little to no minutes because he. Yeah. Playing so poorly, Wilson Chandler had clearly been playing better, even though he hadn't necessarily been putting up numbers. He'd just been playing, playing good vet basketball, defending well, being physical, rebounding, doing all those little things that that Torian Prince wasn't doing well because he was doing the opposite. He was, you know, making poor decisions whenever he was out there on the floor. He was chucking. You know, he was he was taking too many shots that he shouldn't have been taking. So it gives him an opportunity, even if he is getting 25 bench minutes. If he plays effective basketball. Then I, I honestly believe that Torian Prince should be a better basketball than Wilson Chandler. You know, obviously we've, yeah. we've dived we've dived deep into him, plenty in his season review, so you can check that out in in whatever podcast feed that you have. And for Carlos Avert is because his skill set overlaps a lot, and we've spoken about that again plenty on his season review, um, and in plenty of other pods. You know, the ball is taken out of his hands if you have KD and Kyrie there, whereas you know his best skill, as we've said, is when he generally has the ball in his hands. He can create for himself. He can create in the pick and roll. Um, he can drive to the line. He can use his athleticism, his herky jerky sort of finishes, all that sort of thing. So, I think the the two that stick out for me, and there's probably plenty of others as well, Nick, because you know it just means more touches and and more of an opportunity to to really showcase his skills. But um, the one that stick out to me uh, are Levert and Prince, and I can't really sort of choose between the two. Yeah, I think like uh, that's a great point. I mean, and it's for completely different reasons too. Like Levert will have the ball more, and for Prince, it's more so, hey, I I need those minutes because Chandler would probably get them because they'd be more in a win now scenario. And kind of like we mentioned before, it's almost like an opportunity for Prince to kind of earn his minutes next year, or you know whatever it might be, maybe up his value in a trade and possibly for another team. But on the Karras front, that's a great point too, Jack. And just because like. He's going to be the most effective with a ball in his hands, and he's going to be able to kind of, I don't know if I want to say, like, build more respect for himself next year where maybe he'll be able to get more touches if he has another really good postseason. But he'd be a guy that I think will play, you know, better in this scenario than than if KD and Kyrie just came back and he had no time to adjust. You know what I mean? Like, if they have a whole yeah. offseason, they have a regular season, it might be easier for Karras to get and adjust playing with those two. But given it would be just an eight-game regular season and then a playoff series and then whatever happens next – not really much time to adjust. Is there a player in your eyes that would, you know, be, you know, their value would be hurt or maybe their play would be hurt, not being able to play with KD and Kyrie, not even to the extent where they're playing worse than what we saw this year, but they would play so much better if we had those guys on the court? I mean, it's probably Spencer Dinwiddie. 
than Nick because I think that he has out of like the guys that we've spoken about at length on on this podcast, you know, his role seems to be that he will be the the sixth man and facilitator. He has said that you know he wants to be the facilitator guy. So for him not being able to get those reps and sort of you know actually go out there on the court and rather than doing it in scrimmages and then in training sort of facilities, you know, being able to do it against NBA level competition is a completely different thing. You know, we saw that. The, the chemistry that it the time that it took to develop the chemistry with DeAndre Jordan, you know, it was actually qu- quite quick to, to be fair. You know, you could see that they were just a touch off and all it took was, you know, 10, 15 games or so. And, you know, when you are in, in championship mode, 10 or 15 games is a lot. You know, you, yeah. you need every single game. You need every single win. And obviously you have the, the superstar talent of, of Katie and Kyrie. That's going to certainly elevate you. But, you know, those guys are going to need individual time to, to get their legs going as well. So, I think Spencer Dimity is the name that sort of sticks out to me. Um, I can't necessarily, maybe, maybe a Joe Harris in terms of the fact that, you know, the, those open looks, because there's times where it's just like Joe prefers to be like semi-guarded. So it's just like the, sometimes the open looks are too open for him. Um, you know, I'm probably reading into that a little bit too much, but, you know, he's just used to taking, you know, probably some some sort of semi-contested shot because, you know, guys just are, are generally handling him quite a bit because he's such a, a dangerous threat from the perimeter. And when you have KD and Kyrie, who are also dangerous threats from the perimeter, being the third uh, th- three-point shooter on in that lineup, maybe even the fourth if you have Karis Avert shooting well and or Spencer Dinwiddie and or Torian Prince or whoever it might be, you know, it just it opens things up. So I think for for those sort of role players, you know, obviously Karis Avert, it, it hurts him as well because we know that we want him to be the sort of defensive and, and, and the cutter and the guy that can shoot off the catch uh, a little bit better than sort of because he's shooting better uh, off the dribble at creating his own shot. And, and we've seen that, the, you know, the numbers reflect that. So I think it affects everyone to an extent, um, Nick, because, you know, you can't necessarily replicate NBA level basketball. Hopefully, you know, some of those preseason games with, that we saw against, you know, the, the Lakers last year, which I thought were decent enough competition to hold the Nets in good stead. Um, hopefully the, the Nets are able to use those games. Katie and Kyrie are healthy for those games that, you know, you just get the sort of feel. And, you know, the offseason, you know, maybe you get some scrimmages um, going as well. So it's an interesting one. I think you could certainly make a case for, for most guys on the roster. Yeah, you could probably argue it almost hurts everybody in terms of if they want to be on the team next year because it would give Sean Marks just that little bit more of a vision of how this guy fits. But I like the point about Joe Harris because it feels like in a playoff series, teams will kind of be able to smother him because they don't necessarily have to worry as much about sending a double team or kind of collapsing on a player because, you know, Karasovert and Spencer Woody are great players, you know, probably all-star level players, but they're not at the level that Kyrie and KD are at. And that would probably just open up so many more things for Joe Harris. And in, in a way, it could open up more things for Atorian Prince. It's kind of like counterproductive to say this because we just said he'd benefit the most, but in a way, he would benefit from getting those open threes because we know his game can be pretty good when he doesn't get asked to do a lot offensively. So I like the point. It'll probably negatively impact everybody a little bit. And you could even argue the centers could be impacted because like having a guy like Kyrie and Katie driving to the rim just makes it that much easier for them to catch an oop or get an easy putback. Uh, Nick, I, I, I guess we're still on the, the topic of Katie and Kyrie. Um, it's sort of been the talk uh, around town that you know, Kyrie said he, he wants to sort of go to Orlando to, to support the team on the bench. Would you be, I know this isn't on our running dock, but I just thought I saw it. I was scrolling a little bit through Twitter and such as we're sort of talking to. Do you think that that would benefit him and the team? Yeah, 100%. I see no reason why I wouldn't. You know what I mean? Obviously, there's a little bit more risk of getting COVID, but it seems like the NBA is going to do 
the best of their ability to kind of put everyone in a safe position. I feel like it'll help build up the relationship with his teammates, also see how they play on the court, being there live for the support. And, you know, if KD wanted to do the same thing, I think that'd also be great. So any type of, like, team chemistry builder is good for especially next year's squad. Yeah, and, you know, we might get a, a couple few more cheeky gifts. We've seen the sort of, like, the peace sign <laughs> Kyrie, which I'm a big fan of. You know, KD and Kyrie doing their sort of fist bumps, maybe a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Maybe some stank faces if Garrett Temple does a dunk again. Who knows? I think that, you know, it, like you mentioned, team chemistry-wise, leadership-wise, um, all these guys speak glowingly of Kyrie. And if he were to go there, you know, at the end of the day, I think that if he doesn't go, he's going to get so much criticism. I don't really yeah. care if he doesn't go, uh, to, to be honest, because there is an inherent risk of going. Because, you know, there's going to be, you know, we've sort of seen, you know, the, uh, the last couple of days, Florida's sort of spike in, in the amount of cases happening there. Obviously, there are still months and months away, so hopefully things do level out and it is a bit more safe there. And having to get tested every day, I, I will say that uh, I'm, I don't necessarily advocate for the players being like, oh, I don't want to get tested every day. But it is, uh, for those that haven't had the test, it is not a comfortable experience, uh, to say the least. You know, uh, It jabs your, your nose in levels that you didn't even think. You, you think you're going to lose your nose in, in some points. And uh, <laughs> if you don't like things, like having things in your throat, as uh, probably a lot of people don't, um, and people who have a, a short gag reflex like I do, it's that's not funny. Either. I funnily enough, you know, on a, on a weird sort of tag, I didn't like the, the throat more than the nose. I felt like, you know, I, maybe it's the, the the size of my nose. There's just more phlegm <laughs> to get there. So maybe the big nose NBA players are going to have an easier time. But that that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, I've heard really bad things about getting the test. I think everyone kind of reacts a little bit differently depending on, you know, their personal preference of, you know, getting a stick shoved in your nose or your throat, but <laughs> whatever it is. And also you have to think that these guys are going to be quarantined and they're going to be, their freedom to an extent will be limited given that I think there was something reported today that Adam Silver said if anyone left the bubble, they'd have to be on quarantine for 10 days. So I, I could understand why a player wouldn't want to go. Like, especially if they're trying to do rehab, they're trying to live more freely, and, you know, they're not going to play. So that that works for me. Jack, we've kind of touched on this topic on the last show a little bit on this show. But, like, how much are the Nets going to actually benefit from Katie and Kyrie not playing in terms of trade value for certain players on the roster? Oh, I mean, we've sort of touched on it a bit, Nick. But if, you, if you're looking at, you know, Carol Savert, you know, the, the postseason that he had, he was the Nets' best postseason performer. Was that a flash in the pan? Or can he repeat that and be like, oh, okay, well, maybe this guy if the Washington Wizards see him and, and he performs well against them and or against the Toronto Raptors or whoever it finishes with that two seed, it's like, well, maybe that guy can be a foundational piece for this franchise going forward. Spencer Dibbity, well, maybe maybe he actually probably could start for us. Maybe we don't need this guy. Maybe we could just trade for him uh, in the offseason and, and give him a contract and, and be willing to extend him. I think, and, you know, Jared Allen, maybe Jared Allen gets um, a little bit of extra time rather than sort of, you know, seeing 15 to 20 minutes a night that he was seeing. And, and a team is willing to, to take a flyer on him. I think that, in terms of value-wise, I think it makes more sense for, for Karras and Spencer. You know, I, I think Jared Allen, because he's so young and because I, I'm, I'm comfortable in terms of, if we're looking at them, I don't necessarily like thinking of players as, as just trade pieces because it seems to, I don't know, it thinks of them as like just almost not players and not human beings. It's just like a sort of assets on 2K or some shit. But for the for the sake of the exercise, I think Jaron Allen's fine. You know, he's a young son. He's up and coming in the league. He's proven that he can start and he's proven that he can be a real defensive anchor. And I think he's only going to improve. You know, it's not that he's reached his ceiling in any sense of the imagination. So I think that Jaron Allen's fine in terms of that. But Karras and Spencer, you know, Karras is, has shown, you know, in, in flashes, you know, he can be a, you know, a number two, number three guy. But is that... 
Is that all he's going to be? Is he just going to be a flashy guy? Or is he going to be a consistent performer that could put up 20 points a night for you, 25 and 5, and rebound the ball well, be efficient from the field? Haven't seen it from him for extended periods. Have certainly seen it for, for short and small periods of his career. Is the Boston Celtics team more of an aberration? Or is that more of a... A turning point in terms of what he actually can be. Spencer Dinwiddie, one of the most consistent and MVP performers for this team. Can he continue to prove that? Can he er eradicate the the sort of playoff sort of? You know, he wasn't necessarily great in last year's playoffs. Yeah. Neither was Joe. Neither was Joe Harris for, for in that regard as well. So I think that a lot of these guys have a a little bit of a chip on their shoulder to sort of prove something for themselves and for the team and just everything going forward. Yeah, and it was honestly like first postseason minutes for a lot of guys last year. So this is an opportunity for them to kind of improve off of that or like you mentioned with Karras' case, kind of double down. And, you know, Jared Allen, I think also like he, I'd be cool if he stayed on the roster or his value kind of stayed the same. But if he like really popped off and had a big series, he could all of a sudden turn into a bigger trade chip for the Nets than maybe we thought in the past. So there's a lot of different avenues. And I think like low key, if you really didn't think the Nets were going to have a chance to win the finals with Kyrie and KD, you know, coming back, then this might be the best case scenario for these guys to play really well. And then all of a sudden the Nets are going to the offseason where there's not a ton of free agents and they have trade chips that a lot of guys are looking for and a lot of players that, you know, could maybe take another franchise to the next level and they'd have another opportunity to kind of do that there instead of here where they might be limited by playing with KD and Kyrie. But Jack, getting to Jacques Vaughn, who we talked about a little bit before, do you expect Vaughn to make any like big changes to what we saw, or are you expecting pretty much similar to what we saw in those two games and what we saw from Kenny most of the year? Well, what the the sort of I mean, it feels like eons ago, even though it was, <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was uh, like March ten or eleven, uh, the the last game the Nets played. So you know, two or three months ago. Uh, yeah, March, April, three months ago. Sorry, um, th this year has been an absolute shit show. Um, but in that sort of sense, you know, the the, the, ma the major moves that were made was, you know, Dondre starts and, and Wilson Chandler starts, but you know, Kenny sort of instituted the the, the starting position for, for Wilson Chandler. So the big move was was starting Dondre, and whether that was Jacques Vaughn sort of being like, hey, KD and Kyrie, I can do what you guys want. Um, and, you know, and trying to endear himself there, or maybe it was because DeAndre Jordan was just playing better basketball, or maybe it's a combination of both. Um, I I personally want to see just what I sort of alluded to earlier, Nick, you know, just uh, him to take some risks, him to, in games that m might not necessarily matter in terms of seeding, once the Nets have maybe, I think every game is going to matter because the Nets are going to want that seventh seed, and so are the Magic, um, and it's important to, to really solidify that spot because... You don't want to be going up against the Bucks in that first round, even though I don't think the Nets are going to make it at the first round anyway. It's it's it, there's no chance. Um, well, there's little to no chance. I'm not saying that there's no chance. There's little to no chance because yeah, you were but, about to crush some fans' hearts uh, right there, Jack. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm kind of used to that being uh, the the, <laughs> the pod pessimist, uh, if you want to call me that. But in, in general, I think that you know he could change some things, but I think that there's not much wiggle room for change. You know, how much can you really change in, in the space of eight games plus four, five, six, or seven. Not really a heap. And how much can you really do? You know, you, I, I think that the things I alluded to earlier, you know, if I was auditioning for this role, I wouldn't, and we sort of <clears throat> we sort of saw it in the, the sort of closing games for, for Kenny when he was just like, you know what? I know I'm going to get fired. I'm just going to do what the hell I want here. Um, and I think that rather than sort of, you know, listening to what the, the trainers are saying, you can't play this guy more than 30 minutes. You know, it's going to be interesting. You know, I want... <clears throat> If I'm head coach, I want Rodion Skouritz, I want Nicholas Claxton, I want Moussa Minutes. I don't think we're going to get it because I think Jacques Vaughn is a, a, a veteran um, 
a veteran savvy coach. You know, I think he's, he's going to play up to his vets and, and play up to those guys. You know, we'll see Garrett Temple getting 28 minutes plus a night rather than sort of 22 and getting, getting maybe 12 minutes for, for Claxton or, or Mooster off the bench or, or Kuritz or whatever. That's what I want. Um, what Jacques Vaughn wants, I think, is to endear himself to the players, endear himself to Kyrie and KD in and, and, and whatever way that he can because, you know, what Kevin Durant did say in that interview with Mark Spears, which... Um, he wasn't necessarily glowingly speaking about, you know, Jacques Vaughn. I think a lot of other players had been like, yeah, I, we, we love Jacques. You know, he's he's been a great assistant here. You know, he's he's, he's communicating with us in, in a great way. You know, maybe he, he, he changes things in that sort of way. Maybe he's just a different type of communicator. But in, in terms of the rotation and, and that sort of things, Nick, I think things stay relatively steady from what we saw um, against the Lakers. I, I would be surprised if we do see anything dissimilar to that even though I do want it. So you want to see the young guys playing that eight-game stretch, and you don't really care if the Nets were to miss the playoffs or get that eight seed? Look, missing the playoffs would probably be... It wouldn't be a disaster, but it, it would... I'm, I'm just trying to think in terms of priority-wise. I, I guess that, you know, it, maybe it's because it's a lot easier being a fan and being like, let's give some minutes to the young guys because we always want to sort of, you know, see what they can be, and, and it, it provides... When the team isn't going so well, you can always look to the youth and be like, okay, well, these can, you know, Nick Claxton can be Chris Bosch if we actually gave him some minutes. Obviously, that that is certainly rich, but it's the comparison that he's been given um, from guys at OTG, including Dalton Pence and, and others. So I want to see that. Um, I think the priority in general will remain solidifying that seventh seed. How do the, the, the young guys getting minutes fit into that? Uh, again, I don't think that they do. I think that, that it doesn't necessarily hinder them to a great amount. Um, I, I think, you know, if you're playing Nicholas Claxton for, for 12 minutes in comparison to, you know, Wilson Chandler playing 30 minutes, you know, and you take away, you know, five, six of those minutes and you distribute them elsewhere, I don't think it necessarily weakens the team in a huge amount because I think Claxton in small spurts has shown that he can be effective. I think it's harder for, for Musa and, and Kurtz because I think that those guys need rhythm. And funnily enough, we, we did one of the rewatch, you know, the, the Miami Heat game. That's when Rudy and played his best game because he was starting. He was given rotation minutes. He was allowed to be a defensive sort of stopper on Jimmy Butler. So I think that unless there's an injury, I don't see necessarily the value. Um, well, if I'm in Jacques Vaughn's shoes, I don't see necessarily the value of playing those young guys because it doesn't necessarily make sense in terms of the X's and O's and the wins and the losses. Yeah, I think I'm probably in a different ship. I, I'm not really huge on playing Musa and Claxon right now in this eight-game stretch because I'm not sure how much they can really benefit. And in my eyes, I think I'd rather see the veterans because they're only going to have eight games to get this rotation and try to get their chemistry back. And if they go in the postseason, you want to have the best opportunity to win. And I think, not that I think they're going to win in the first round, but a successful playoff series where maybe they go six or seven and they're really competitive with a Raptors team, I think that does more value for the guys like Karis Avert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Jared Allen, who are really guys that teams will kind of want to trade for, want to build their franchise around, where even if like Musa pops off or Rodion pops off, like they're not going to be enough in a trade package where I think a team's like, yeah, this is the player that I need on my squad that's going to kind of push me to that level. It's more of a, we got to still, he's shown some more flashes, the guy we can develop. Maybe we can get him for a second round pick or a late first. And I think Claxton, like I'm okay not playing him now because he's so raw and I can't expect him to get to a playoff ready level instantly. Like he has the 
the, the, I guess the it factor of an NBA player, but I think from like a basketball IQ and just the experience in the NBA, he probably wouldn't be ready for postseason basketball. So I'm okay if Vaughn doesn't play them. I think the only guy I could see the argument for would be Rodion's because we saw him play last year and he played in the postseason. He wasn't very good, but at least he has that experience. So I'd lean with the vets because there's such a small amount of time to get things right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I totally see that viewpoint. I just think that, like, you know, we've seen 65 games for them to sort of figure out the chemistry and everything. It's like they've, they've already had the opportunity to do so, whereas I don't think that the young guys were given any real opportunity to sort of prove themselves. And, you know, that's probably more on Kenny than it is on Jacques Vaughn in the two games yeah. that he's he's coached. So it's more of an, um, an aberration and asterisk next to, to him. Um, so it's it's not, you know, I think Jacques Vaughn is probably going to be going down the route that, that you're sort of alluding to, Nick. But, you know, for me, it's just like, I know that Garrett Temple can be a rotation player. I know that Wilson Chandler can be a rotation player. You know, I know that TLC maybe can be a rotation player. I know that Theo Pinson can't. You know, I don't necessarily... <laughs> It's not like there are, I know that there are, there's not necessarily questions that I need answering surrounding those veterans, but there are plenty uh, around the sort of young guys. And I think that, yes, Rodion's is probably the, the name that makes the most sense because he's also at the position that would provide the most value. I think Claxton, I think, would sort of benefit because you know, you're going up against the best competitions. This is the 22 best teams. And, you know, if you can show that you can perform against them. And, yes, I think one of his best performances, I think his first game, sorry, was against the Portland Trailblazers where, he, you know, he, he stuffed and, and yacked um, the, 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 the attempt from CJ McCollum. So I think that there, there, will be, there could be some value. Um, again, I'm just a, a guy probably thinking more, again, the theme of the podcast from, from uh, resonating from me is, is big picture style, even though um, we're not necessarily getting a, a large sample size for that big picture. I, one thing I'd say I'd like to see from Vaughn, and you kind of hinted at this before, would be like, hey, play Spencer and Karras like big minutes, as long as their bodies are ready, which I think they would be considering the performance team and like what they've you know done in the past. Like, let these guys play minutes if they're hot. Like, you know, if Karras is hot, if Spencer is hot, or Joe Harris is hot, like play the guys and don't be scared to like use your rotation so much. Like, I feel like at times last year, even when it wasn't even like guys were playing 30 minutes, Kenny would play them like 28 or 27 minutes. And it's like, yo, this player is substantially better than the player behind him. So why are you doing this? Yeah, I mean, you know, Spencer has been uh, putting on the dad bod as he started. <laughs> He said it himself, you know, he said on Twitter that he's he's put on like five pounds. I think he said he's at 220 now when he used to be at 215 and he's playing weight, you know, not necessarily playing, you know, the, the high level of games and, and switching more to to the weights and, and beefing himself up. Um, you know, he's certainly, you know, looking for the strength. You know, when he's driving in there, he certainly can use it. Um, it's not that it's going to be a bad thing, but you can never replicate game style reps and, and, and the fitness that you get from playing uh, NBA level basketball. So, you know, we know our guys are going to be fit. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. He, he, and again, in on Twitter, Spencer was alluding to the fact that all the other guys have been in much better shape than he has. And it's not that he has been in bad shape in any sense either. Spencer, honestly, you might say was in the best shape of anybody on the Nets, like during the season. I think this yeah. guy's rocking like, what'd you say, 215 at like 4% body fat, which is like ridiculous. We know he's pretty obsessive with his diet. He's probably been cooking a little bit more, so that probably <laughs> added some extra weight. It looked like he cooked some good-ass mac and cheese. But, Jack, getting back to Vaughn, if he has a really good postseason, like, does that give him a realistic chance at, you know, being the coach? Or does it really not matter for him, and he's probably not going to be the guy regardless? Look, for, for me, Nick, the, the comparison that sort of comes to mind immediately is 
that of Mike Miller from the, the, the team across the bridge, the, the New York Knicks. Mike Miller was given the chance after Fizdale was fired to, to make his imprint on, on the New York Knicks. And I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, and he was given, you know, 50 games or whatever it was. I don't necessarily know that number. I don't really care. But when it comes to, to the Nets, you know, Jacques Warner's had two games and he's won both of them. So uh, it's a nice winning record for him uh, in comparison. And you don't necessarily look at the, the Orlando days where he, he certainly didn't perform to his personal capabilities that we know that he certainly can. So um, I think that there is a possibility. And I think that out of all the candidates right now, there aren't any more that are going to be able to necessarily up their value because yeah. you know we, we know what they are. Whereas Jacques Vaughn has an opportunity to up his value as an as an NBA head coach. He can be like, look, I took these guys to six games against the the, the second best team in in the East with you know without the two best superstars. Imagine what I could do with these two guys. You know, I I, I showed that you know I can play DeAndre Jordan and and make him cohesively fit and uh, play well on both sides of the floor. You know, I think that there's He's, he's going to be given every opportunity, you know, and he just, it's about how he chooses to, to use that opportunity. Um, I don't think that he will be the head coach, just speaking as of, you know, June 9 here in, in Melbourne, Australia right now. Um, I don't think that he will be, um, but I think he's certainly in the running. You know, there, there are plenty of guys in the running that we've discussed uh, at length um, through other podcasts as well. You know, Ty Lu, Phil Handy, you know, Tom Thibodeau's out of the running. I'm, I'm, I'm quite confident of that, thankfully. Uh, Mike D'Antoni, all these people, hopefully Greg Popovich. Um, I think that all of those guys, we know what they are. We, we know what they are as a coach. We've seen what they can be as a head coach. You know, Ty Lue's going to be, funnily enough, you know, assistant coaching, one of the teams that will be looking to win a championship. Is he going to want to leave that? I don't know. You know, does he want? Does he really crave to be a head coach again? You know, I think he does because of um, what he uh, in the offseason where he essentially had the job for the Lakers. But you know, Jacques Vaughn is going to be given every opportunity, the eight games and however many more, to make an imprint as a, the Brooklyn Nets head coach. Um, there aren't many guys that necessarily get the job from ten or so games. Though JB Bickerstaff did, I guess, and to some extent. So uh, obviously, the Nets are in a completely different sort of realm. Um, it's just. I can't, there, there is a universe where I can see it. Um, it's just that I don't think it's this one. Yeah, I don't think even if he had an amazing like postseason or mini regular season that he'd be like the favorite and they'd go in and be like, hey, we're not interviewing anybody else. Like I still think there's going to be interviews regardless. The best thing that he probably could do would be like if none of the other candidates like overwhelm the Nets, they just might be like, hey, we're just going to stick with Vaughn because we know what we have. It seems like the least likely scenario, but a good postseason will at least help his chances. And and for me, I would be surprised if that's the case as well, Nick, because did you really fire Kenny Atkinson to make Jacques Vaughn your head coach? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But it just seems like if that was the case, there were the things behind closed doors that we probably don't know about yep. in terms of the fact that Kyrie and Katie are like, I don't know if I really like this guy. I don't really know if I want him to be my head coach for, for the next two years when I'm winning a championship. I don't know if I can really envision him standing there. Despite the fact that a, a lot of us and you know probably the majority of people who are Nets fans have nothing but really good things to say about Coach Kenny and his tenure within Brooklyn. Yes, there are issues that he did have, but I think that he could be a very good coach going forward. I think that there was... Um, Zach Lowe said in terms of pigeonholing players and pigeonholing coaches, you know, Coach Kenny might have been shown to be a player development coach at this stage of his career. That's what he can do. That's what he's shown. 
but he hasn't necessarily been given the chance to show anything else. He can, yeah. he, who knows? He can be a, a good playoff coach. We, we've seen it in a small sample size, that game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, the Nets probably should have been swept. You know, we, we were going up against freaking Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, all these sort of guys. You know, we shouldn't be winning those games at all. But we did. We did play well. And I think that Kenny Atkinson isn't just a player development coach, despite the fact that he's a strong suit of his. I think that he, he's a great X's and O's coach in, in certain situations. I think he has plenty of growth to show, um, as does Jacques Vaughn. Um, I, I just, it would be surprising to me if it's just like, all right, Kenny Atkinson out, Jacques Vaughn in, and you're going to be the coach for 2020, 2021. Unless, like you said, plan A, B, and C, whether that be Lou, D'Antoni, Pop, whoever else it might be, I'm just like, you know what? Um, Houston actually going to re-sign me for, for a nice little contract. Or uh, I kind of want to stay in San Antonio. Uh, I'm really liking this. Or I, I just want to finish my career here. Or Tyler's like, you know what? I, I don't really want to be head coach anymore. You know, Steve Barmer's still paying me some good bucks and, and LA's got some nice weather. So there are scenarios where I think that, you know, Jacques Vaughn could end up with the, the head coaching job. But um, I think that there are, more capable and better suited candidates to our superstars. And, and that's it at the end of the day. It, it might seem a little bit um, narrow-minded and sort of pigeonholing, just being like, we need to get who KD and Kyrie want. But we do. We need to get who KD and Kyrie want. Yeah. No, I agree, Jack. And I think you hit it on the head when you said, like, the Nets would get killed if they replaced Kenny Atkinson with Jacques Vaughn. And that's no disrespect to Vaughn, but Kenny really didn't do enough bad where it would be like, hey, we're going to replace him with one of his assistant coaches. And based off of everything we heard with reports, the Nets want a blue chip coach, you know, somebody who's more respected in the league. So it makes you think that they'll be looking for that avenue. But we mentioned, Jack, like if Vaughn has a big postseason, it could help his case. Are there any playoff opponents that you think the Nets would really benefit from seeing? Obviously, the likelihood it will be the Toronto Raptors. There's a small chance it could be the Celtics. Between those two, is there one that you prefer over the other? Um, I mean, it'd be it'd be more fun to beat Boston in, in a couple <laughs> of games or two and to just chat some chat some ish to some of our guys at OTG and the, the rest of Celtics Twitter. So I would prefer to beat the Celtics, um, if that makes sense. Um, but it would also be pretty fun to to shut up Kyle Lowry for, for a game or two as well. I agree. I think there's not really much of a difference. I think maybe you could say you think you have a better chance at Boston because they're less proven than Toronto, given that Toronto was a championship team last year. Obviously, they won the finals, but you also can make an argument that you know Boston has more star power. Let's just assume it's going to be Toronto, which seems like it's going to be the most likely scenario. Do you feel like the Nets are going to get swept, or do you think they can at least make it a competitive series? Obviously, we're uh, going to dive deeper when we get the official, you know, matchup, but just right off the top. Right off the top, Nick, likely douchebag sweep in five. <laughs> I'll be a little bit more positive and just push to six. I think five is probably more likely, but I'm just going to try to be optimistic here, and maybe given the fact that everyone's kind of been on a layoff, it could benefit the Nets. Yeah, well, um, certainly – it's still bloody like a month and a half, a month and three quarters away till we'll actually see any NBA basketball. So there's still plenty of things to analyze. I think September like 16th or 17th, they said the first round will start. Obviously, that's still subject to change. But Jack, any other topics you want to touch on before we get out of here? 
Um, I did want to touch on a little bit on the statement made by Joe Sy. Um, I'll read it out here. Um, we have said that, that we will use the voice and platform of the Nets, Liberty and Barclays Centre to facilitate empathy and dialogue. In Brooklyn, the plaza at Flatbush in Atlantic has become a place for people to assemble and have their voice heard. If it continues to serve as a place where everyone from our community, from residents to businesses to police alike, gather peacefully to listen to each other and find common ground, then it's good with me. A, a little bit tone deaf from Joe Sy. I think that sometimes it's better to not say anything. Yeah, just it's like you could have had a more vague statement and just like the fact is you're just like ignoring what's going on to an extent. Like we've heard stories of protesters being arrested, beat by police, you know, violent, maced and all that stuff. And you're saying peaceful protests and you're saying they're getting along and sharing thoughts where that just doesn't seem like it's happening right now. So I think like he needs to re-examine what's actually going on in Barclays Center. I get the idea what he's trying to do because, you know, he is the governor of the team. He's trying to say something nice, but I think uh, people appreciate honesty way more. Uh, they do. And, you know, obviously... You know, it, who are we to, to speak on on what a person should say, should say, and whatever? But yeah, I think that sometimes sometimes it's better not to say anything, um, or to actually say something that actually has some substance and meaning to it, rather than sort of you know the vague and sort of just pleasantries of of what sort of Joe said here. So um, honesty is always the best policy, especially right now. And you know, the the message is is right enough but um again i'll it's just a little bit tone deaf and maybe get one of your players to advise you or maybe run it by someone who was actually at the protests and get their sort of first-hand experience you know i think joe size coming from a position of privilege you know he's he's a billionaire he's probably fine living in in whatever penthouse he is in in brooklyn or manhattan um you know he hasn't necessarily been in the protests you know he's been uh, doing all the right things i'm, I'm not this isn't a, a joe side bashing into the pod but you know there's plenty more that everyone can do in this world um, especially when you have the the facility and finances to do so you know he's been doing uh, plenty of good when it came to, to the COVID 19 pandemic in terms of you know all the the facility all the sort of different things that he's donating and, and the money that he was contributing you know there's there's plenty more that we can all do um whether that be education again you know i'll, I'll echo the sentiments that i made at the start of the pod sign petitions donate money go to protests whatever you contend with it whatever you can do within your capabilities um know that something is better than nothing 100%. I echo what exactly Jack said. And I think one of the most important things talking about Joe Sy or just in general is just the truth and be honest with yourself about the situation and what's going on. But other than that, Jack, I think that wraps it up for another Brooklyn Buzz. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And like we mentioned before, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.